You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Good morning. morning. Turn to the person next to you and tell them thank you for using soap. Yeah. You got to win friends and influence people one way or another, right? If you're using soap, you're good. If you're not using soap, people might tell you. All right. We have a little water in here after the baptisms. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll reuse it for you. Okay. Remember in the old days, I've been told in the old days, people would, they would draw a bath on Saturday night. And uh, everybody would get to use it. And the more important you were in the family, you got to be in the uh, tub first. So the baby got to be the last one. And so if there are ten people in your family, you got ten, nine baths before you, before you get there. So that's kind of, I know some of you are like, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, hey, we're in the middle of a series entitled Soap. And it's what we're trying to do is something a little different. And what I want you to do is you're going to go on a journey with me. Um, you went on a journey last week with Jonathan as he kind of opened up some scripture for you and he had some cool technology. I'm not that smart, so we're not going to have all that. But um, we're going to go on a journey today. And I want what our goal is over the next few weeks is for you to begin to feel comfortable in understanding that the word of God is for you. And you can study it and you can understand it and apply it so that it can change your life. Because our goal is, is that, yes, we're going to gather on Sundays and we're going to open it up and we're going to kind of have a buffet together. But then also you've got to eat throughout the week. And the way that you can eat throughout the week is if you begin to take some of these things that we're going to teach you over the next few weeks and begin to apply them. And I understand there's sometimes there's fear, there's some intimidation because the word of God is holy. It is the word of God. So it should have some, you know, some trepidation as we come to it. But it is written for us and to us so that we can receive it and know him. And so hopefully over these next few weeks as we kind of dig into this and and you get to do that. Because usually on a Sunday morning when Pastor Jonathan or Pastor Kenny or Pastor um, whoever gets up here and teaches, you are the beneficiary of their study throughout the week or weeks or months when they bring you that passage. And so we're going to show you kind of how we do that so you can get a gain and understanding of on a basic level how you can begin to study and apply God's word. So we're going to you should have some handouts as you came in, there should have been a couple of handouts. One, it should just say SOAP Bible study method on there. And so it gives you some questions. It gives you some ways to possibly do this. I would, you should have also gotten either last week or this week a journal as you come in. I would take that SOAP Bible study message sheet and just put it inside of your journal. So you have it next there. You can kind of refer to it and begin to, to begin to know it and own it. And then, um, if you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles out here in the um, four-year area, and there's no greater investment that we can make in you than I have a Bible and a journal, and you begin to study God's Word for you. And Because uh, here's what the Scripture teaches us, that when we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God takes residence with inside of us, and now we are a living temple of Him. And so as we study His Word, we're in worship with Him. And that you... 
Because you've said yes to Jesus, and because when you said yes, the Spirit takes residence inside of you, you are a priest. You do not need Pastor Chris or Pastor Jonathan or Pastor Kenny or any other pastor to tell you what Scripture says or for you to speak to God. You can do it on your own. Because what happened whenever Jesus died on the cross, he became the fulfillment of the Passover. And at that moment, whenever he breathed his last breath out and he said, it is finished, as the Passover lamb, the veil that kept the Holy of Holies separate from the rest of the place of worship that only the high priest could enter into on that day of atonement, that veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, symbolically letting us know that now all of us are priests, royal priests, and through Jesus' sacrifice, and us saying yes to it, we can enter into that place, not on our own power or strength, but on his. And so you are a priest. And so as a priest, you get to study God's word. You get to pray. You get to interact with him and develop your own relationship. And so as we gather together and we buffet together and we celebrate together, we are priests of the kingdom of God coming together, celebrating what God's doing in our heart and life in the way that we as the temple of the living God, have been able to worship throughout the week. When you went to school, when you were driving, when you were at HEB, and, and that should change how we worship, right? We'll drive differently if we realize that's worship. Even your car at HEB, you will drive it differently if it's worship. You won't push people out of the way for the queso. You know what I mean? Like you'll do whatever. So anyway, so but it is intimidating to study Scripture. So there's some weird things in there. So here's one of them. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. We might have a lighter crowd today. (laughs) Right? I mean, because there's moments that your parents or your grandparents, they frustrate you. And you may not say those things, but inside you're like, hmm. Right? And so as Jesus says, hey, if you even think those things, that is. And so here's another one. Those Texans that love barbecue, this is going to really destroy us. The pig is unclean to you. Do not eat it. So some of your lunch plans are gone. There's no pulled pork today. Can't have it. All right. What does that mean? Why did they do that? And so there's different things. So those are the things you'll learn how to do. Um, David had six wives. King David. I can barely do one. <laughs> right. If you've been married for a little bit, you know, like your wife, guys, your wife is training you. Right. Like you don't if you don't know this yet, we'll have class afterwards. Your wife is training you, and so after a few years, like, she's, like, you don't want to be trained by anyone else. And so you're like, I can't even be fully trained by one, much less have six other trainings going on. So you're like, hey, I don't know if the toilet seat goes up or down on Christmas or New Year's or what, what's going to be happening. So I don't understand. David had six wives. It's kind of frowned on. Plus, you'll be broke. Here's one that things kind of changed in time. So in the day when... In England, when chloroform became available, um, women in England, were their pastors were telling them, you can't use it because Scripture says in Genesis 3.16, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, women, all in favor that childbirth is painful. I've heard rumors, all right? Some of the guys I've known said it's just like having a kidney stone, and I'm like, I'm not going to argue. <clears throat> Um, but somebody then found Genesis 2:21 that says God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man to create woman. 
And so if God can put a deep sleep on man to create woman, surely a woman can have a deep sleep to give birth to children so to do away with pain. Sound good? Yeah, all right. So anyway, there's all kinds of weird things, and we could spend a whole day on doing that. But here's what I want you to get, is understanding applying God's word is essential to the Christian life. If we are followers of Jesus, we have to study his word and to study him and how he lived, and it will transform us. Because God's word, God wants to meet you personally through his word. He wants you to have a firsthand experience with him. And so if you only digest God's word Sunday mornings based on the pastor, then that's a secondhand experience. So you're experiencing only my God or whoever. And so you can then begin to see you you don't have your own personal experience with who God is. And God wants you to have your own experience with him um, because you are you are him. You're his. Also. You have the right to study the Bible for yourself. As I said, you are a priest under your own. You're a part of the kingdom of God, a part of priests there. And so the same Holy Spirit that brought you to salvation wants to teach you and mold you and shape you through the study of Scripture, the spending of time in that. And then also, you don't want to depend solely upon the opinions of others. Listen, I I wear these glasses because I cannot see. Like right now, when I take my glasses off, y'all are just a mass of colors, okay? And so I've worn these glasses on, right, so I can see clearly. Sometimes that's scary. But to be able to see clearly and to be able to distinguish specific characteristics about each of you and about yourself. And so this Word of God, whenever we come to the Word of God, we come to it with our own lenses, And what I mean by that is that your life experiences, your background, the good, the bad, the way you experience church, the way you experience faith, maybe how people taught you, all these different things. Every time you open up the word of God, you come to the word of God and those lenses are on you. So you're interpreting and you're hearing things from God through those lenses. And so that's good, but also can be limiting. And so what God does through his word is scripture tells us in James, it's a mirror unto us. And so that every time we open up God's word, it mirrors himself to us. And then we also see ourselves. And so whenever we begin to see the shape of God in the mirror and that our shape isn't matching his, he begins to convict us. He begins to challenge us because he wants to transform us, not to look like him, but to love and to care and to act and to think and to see others. Like he does. And the only way that can happen is when we open up his word, it mirrors back and there's transformation that happens. So you have those handouts there before you. And so we're going to practice. This is going to be a little different than a normal sermon. So we're going to practice together. Normally when I teach on Sundays, I read out of the New Living Translation. All right, but there's multiple translations. Some of you have the Version app or some different apps, and you have 70 to 100 different translations there before you. And a translation is this. There are scholars that know Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic really, really well, and their heart passion is to bring the Word of God from those original languages and the original context to us today so that we can understand it fully. All right? So unless you're a Greek scholar, a Hebrew scholar, Aramaic scholar, you're going to have to depend upon other people to translate some of that stuff for you. So there's hundreds of them. But the one that I choose to teach out of and read from our personal enjoyment is the New Living Translation. Some of you maybe read out of the NIV, the New International Version. 
Some of you like the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. I can spend all morning listening off the translations, okay? So it's just a matter of, of what you prefer. But for the SOAP method, what we want you to do is to take the one that you enjoy the most and probably get a study Bible. And a study Bible is a really thick Bible that you can swap flies with or whatever. You can throw your shoulders out, get rotator cuff replacement, because that can be heavy, all right? But it has notes in the beginning of the book and tells you, hey, the Scripture we're going to dig in today is 2 Timothy. And so in a, in a study Bible, it'll have some beginning notes, and it'll answer some questions. Who's the author of this book? Paul, who's he writing to? Timothy, what's the situation that he's writing to? All these different things. And so some resources there to help you. And then as you read through some of the verses, they'll point out some key words here and there. So that's important. But then also pick out some other translations and um, that you can get on your app. And so I'm going to read four different translations today. And the reason to read those different translations is so that it begins to soak in and marinate and you begin to hear what God is saying. Okay? So here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living the first, first time through. But you, and he's, this is Paul talking to Timothy, I've already given you that hint. But you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. Now, Holy Scriptures in this context would have been the Old Testament, okay? You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood as they've been given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All right. So that's the New Living Translation, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to read a couple other versions, and I'm going to start in verse 16. All right? This next version I'm going to read is the message, and it's written by, translated by Eugene Peterson. He was a pastor in the Northwest, really incredibly smart pastor and guy. And so his desire was to write the Bible in language that his, at the time, his, like, fourth grade daughter could read. Okay? And so he's writing in that. And so he was a scholar of Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. He's a really smart guy. And so as he was preparing messages, he would write out and retranslate stuff. Okay? So here's his deal. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or other, another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. Here are the similarities. All right. This next one is an older one by a guy named J.B. Phillips. And again, he several different people, but he's the guy that would kind of put it together and says this, verse 16, 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in a good living. The scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of the man of God and fit him fully for all branches of his work. And then the last one is the CEV, which is the contemporary English version. And it says, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character. So that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. So in your own time, 
as you're studying and you're reading these scriptures, what you want is as you're reading these things, you want them to begin to marinate. And as you begin to see some words that kind of jump out at you, some things that you're like, hey, I wonder what that means. Just kind of underline it and begin to make some notes. And then try to rewrite it in your own words. So those verse 16, 17, what would it look like for you to write in words? I mean, when I read it, I think if there's some parental language, there's some teacher language. So how would I write some of that stuff out to, to make sense for me as I think about myself as a parent or even as a teacher? And then what I would challenge you to do also with this method is this is probably not an every single day thing. This is probably once a week that you just say, hey, I'm going to set aside 30 minutes on a Saturday or 30 minutes on a Sunday. And I want to dig deeper into a passage. And so sometimes people do that. They know, hey, Pastor Chris or Pastor Jonathan or whatever is teaching on Second Timothy three fourteen through 16. And so they're going to go home and they want to study it on their own beforehand. Or they'll study it afterwards and kind of dig in a little bit deeper. All right. Be able to do that. So after you read the scripture and you write in your own language, the second thing to do is then to begin to make some observations. So the question is, like, who wrote it? Who wrote this book? And we know that Paul wrote the book, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this book to who? To Timothy. Now, this is the second letter that he's written to Timothy. He's written 1 Timothy and he's written 2 Timothy. And Paul is writing to Timothy, one, because Paul is an established pastor. He's a well-studied scholar of the day, and he's been training Timothy. And this is training Timothy, and this is Timothy's first pastorate. So there's a church at Ephesus, and it's a large city. And so what we know a little bit about Timothy is he was, a, he was young at the time. He was a small person. He, was, he struggled with even his... Um, intestinal fortitude, all right? Even Paul tells him, hey, sometimes instead of, uh, you need to drink a little bit of wine, all right, to make your stomach not so nervous. You ever get butterflies? All right, and so Paul would say, hey, drink a little bit of wine. Not a whole lot of wine, a little bit of wine. To kind of calm yourself just a little bit. And then also, what's the circumstances around the writing? So he's writing to Timothy when he's in Ephesus, and we just did a series on Ephesus. And so some of the things about Ephesus, Ephesus is a city of about 250,000 people. So it's a large city. There's a lot of retired military. It's also one of the, that is the place, the seventh wonder of the world, the Temple of Diana, the Temple of Artemis is there. And then the temple worship in Diana and Artemis Temple is one of their female priests. All the priests are female. And it's a, they um, worship with um, physical intimacy. Okay, it's central to their worship as far as like that's even anyway, craziness and astrology and magic and all kinds of different things is a part of that. So you can imagine that kind of craziness going on and then people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ through Paul's ministry and those around them and Timothy and then the life change and the heart change. And see this again, this is the beginning of Christianity. So there's not a whole lot of people going around saying, Hey, we've been doing this for hundreds or thousands of years. They're all learning what it means to live out the Christian faith together. All right. And many of the early Christians are Jews. And so there's some things that are changing for them. And Paul is one of the leaders in understanding this and teaching. And so Timothy's under his teaching and he's learning from him. What does it look like to live out the Christian faith in a city like Ephesus, where there's many of opportunities to go astray and to do other things? And so here Paul is teaching him. And then one of the other things that we learn about Timothy is that he has been raised up by his mom and his grandmother. And his mom and his grandmother have invested heavily in him and taught him the scriptures and raised him up. And every Sunday he was in Sunday school and at home they were doing Bible studies. And so they did a lot of, lot of stuff together. 
All right. And Paul knew them and they'd had a relationship, friendship at some point. And so all that stuff is it kind of helps you get an understanding. So now then, as we read this again in the New Living Translation here, let's read it together and I'll stop and I'll make out some points along the way. And so you can underline a word in your Bible or do whatever you want to do. But you, Timothy, must remain faithful. So what must he remain faithful to? To the things that you've been taught. So his mom and his grandma have been teaching him. And whenever I think about this moment, I think about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through following. And this was a passage that the Jewish people would have known. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 is known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And so Jewish people, even to this day, they have this in a scroll on their doorpost. So as they come and go from out of their house, they'll touch it. They'll kiss their finger and they'll touch it. Even in the hotels, they have one there. Okay. So Shema is important. They know that and they've understand it. And what are they taught in Deuteronomy chapter six, four and following is one to know that God is the God of Israel. Yahweh is a personal relationship. God and to know him, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, everywhere you go is an opportunity to teach your faith. So as you're walking down the road together, talk about Jesus. Talk about God. As you're making biscuits in the morning, talk about God. Everything has an opportunity because Scripture is relevant to all portions of life. Teach your children. And so here Paul is drawing upon that imagery for Timothy that he's thinking about those moments where his grandmother and his mom were teaching him. And Paul's like, be faithful to the teachings they have for you. You know that they are true, the teachings. Why? Because you can trust those who taught you. That again, Paul is saying, Timothy, you can trust the things of Scripture are true because you know those that taught you and they are truthful, honest, and they love you and care for you. And they've taught you these things for a reason. Verse 15. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. Again, the Old Testament from childhood. And most... Good Jewish homes, they're going to take a passage and like Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through following, and they're going to memorize it. So they're going to memorize passages of Scripture and talk about how does this passage apply to my life. And so there's a lot of memory, not just teaching, but also memorizing. And these things, what have they done? They've given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, all that Old Testament teaching, all that Old Testament study, what does it do? It points you to Jesus. So that when you were told about the Messiah, when you were told about Jesus, it made sense to you. Ah, yes, Jesus fulfills all of the prophecies. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And all of this is because mom and grandma taught you the scriptures and made you wise, not just intellectually wise, but spiritual eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God. Now, here's what's interesting is we don't know if Paul realizes that he's writing scripture himself. Right. He's just writing a letter to a young pastor and saying, hey, 
all of the scriptures that you've been taught to this point, all the Old Testament, the Tanakh and all those things, the Torah, all of that has been breathed out by God for us to know him intimately and learn about him and to apply to our lives and that we are separate and holy people. And now here Paul is a pastor and he's teaching others and he's writing scriptures in a new environment, a new context. And the early church has said, hey, these things that Paul wrote and that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and James, those things are scripture too. You can see the hand and the breath of God all over them. That God breathed them out. Because there became a time where there were some other writings going around and people quickly said, hey, there's something different about them. Those are false or pseudo writings. But the writings of Paul here are true. So all scripture is God-breathed and useful. What's it useful for? One, to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. This is an idea of rebuke. None of us like to be told that we're wrong. How many of you love being told that you're wrong? None of us, right? Do you understand here Paul is telling Timothy that this is a necessary part of the recipe of the Christian faith? That if no one can rebuke you, then you're not open to the life-transforming teachings of the gospel. That you have to have people in your life that know you and love you and that can rebuke you out of love to get you on the right path again. Because all of us are humans. All of us are selfish. All of us have our own agendas. And it's easy for us to go in our own direction. But a loving friend can tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, wrong direction. And gently guide us back to the path. The word of God does that. It's like that mirror that you put in front and you see, hmm, God needs to do some chiseling work on us. It also corrects us. It restores us to right relationship and points us in the right direction. When I think of this imagery, I think of a coach. In particular, a football coach, because I know that best. And so, so many times when we think about a sport, we think, hey, that one person is on their own doing their own thing. But when we realize in a team sport, if one person doesn't do their job, then the whole team fails in that moment, right? Because if, even if the person that's on the backside doesn't complete their block and someone gets through and they get tackled and they lose, the guys that other ten that maybe did their job, it looks like they failed because this one person didn't do their thing. And so a good coach... I don't know if there's any coaches in here. Don't take lessons. A good coach pulls that person aside and says, hey, we know, you know you messed up. Right? Everybody in the stands, they don't necessarily even in the stands, they don't know who messed up, but I do. Right? Coach is like, I know you messed up. You missed your assignment. Hey, keep working on what we've been practicing. You can do this. Trust in your coaching. Trust in those around you. Trust in your teammates that they're going to do what they're gifted to do, what they're been taught to do, so that all of us together can accomplish the goal of getting three yards or five yards or ten yards. And that is what it's like to live in community in church, is that each one of us has a role and a responsibility. Each one of us is shaped and gifted differently. And so there's not a more important job than any other job. Sometimes we think, especially in today's culture, that the only job that's there is a quarterback. 
because they seemingly get all the money, they get all the glory. But I tell you what, if his center does not pay attention and snap the ball at the right count and step to the right way or call the right packages for blitz and stuff, that quarterback's going to be a really expensive weight on the bench. Everything is important, and every one of us is important. So being up on stage is not more important than changing diapers in the nursery. It's not more important than bringing people into the congregation and saying hi to them as they come in or making coffee and donuts or putting people in a parking spot or even doing whatever you need. Nobody is more important than the other person. All of us are necessary for each other. Because our goal is, as our mission here is to point people to Jesus, all of us are on a goal and a mission to point people to Jesus because we're trying to move in that direction. And so we're trying to move together, not holding anybody back, not too far ahead. We're trying to go together and point people to Jesus. And sometimes it takes rebuking. Sometimes it takes correcting and gently moving back to the direction, the right direction we should go. Sometimes the rebuking hurts and you have to do it over and over and over again until they get it. But if we love someone well and they're receiving it, we've got to continue to correct. And I know we live in a culture that isn't like that. We live in a culture that really even struggles with this idea that God breathed out Scripture so we're in a culture that's not worried about Scripture being useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking. We're, worried, we're in a culture that's saying, mm, I don't really like that part. Let me set that side out. Or I don't like this part. Let me set that outside. So let's do a little, little thing together. Okay? How many of you are God? Raise your hand. Okay? How many of you are not God? Raise your hand. Okay. So that means if it's... God's word, and it's in there, and you don't like it, God put it in there for a reason. We may not understand it. We may not like it. It may be convenient. It may be that my finite, infantile mind cannot wrap itself around everything that God has in his scripture, which by definition makes him God. Like, if he can be contained, then he's not God. I don't want a God that I can contain and put in a box. That I can fully understand. In this lifetime, we will never begin to even understand the fullness of all God. All of God and all of his glory. So, those places in scripture that we don't like, that are inconvenient, that make us go, "Mm, I don't understand. Instead of throwing them out, let's lean into them. Let's begin to understand a little bit more about God's heart, God's eyes, the way that God's thinking, and why God might put some of these things in here. Why would God say that the pork is unclean? Why? Because in those days, if you were to eat something like that, you were very likely to get an illness in the stomach that would cause you to lose a lot of weight rapidly that you could not recover from. And it may have been a quick loss plan. It may be part of Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers, but you were also going to die. And so a lot of the things that are in the dietary laws and all that stuff, God was practically thinking and saying, listen, I want my people to be holy and set apart, but I also want them to live. So we're going to wash our hands a lot, right? COVID, man, we... We became ritual cleansers. 
Right? I still see people today. Their habit is they walk by a hand sanitizer and they don't even thinking about it. And like, you know what I mean? It's, you're everywhere you go. Why? Because you know you've been trained. And so here, it's useful for teaching to make us realize, to rebuke us, and to correct us. And also when we are wrong, it teaches us to do what is right. Even today in schools, we see it, that there's outside groups coming in teaching kids character development. We won't get into all that stuff, but here's what I know. is character development and teaching really takes place in the home. Right? Because sometimes Sunday... Church attendance and Monday life don't match up. And so I think one of the things as, as adults that we've got to think through and struggle through is, is my church attendance just church attendance or is it the scriptures actually changing my life? So on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, is there, is there, is there a disconnect between Sunday and Monday or do they see that on Sunday I'm getting encouraged and filled up so I can try to live out the faith on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Not perfection but trying to live it out because our kids catch more than we teach. They look and think and do things and mimic you and they don't want to do it either, but they do it. And why is all this important? Because verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In other words, he's putting the tools in your toolbox so that when the toilet breaks, you can have the tools and the ability to do it. That he's called you specifically to do things and he's equipping you so that you can possibly do it. I, <clears throat> this came to life for me Thursday. We dropped off my son to college. And uh, it was a good moment, man. It's, it's what we've prepared him for, my daughter and my son. And, yeah, sick and bears. Yeah. And so I'm officially broke. So if you want to give me lunch money, I'm good. Um, but, man, I mean, I think one of those things is I hugged him the last time. Not last time, but you know what I mean. And I'm walking away. I'm thinking, all of a sudden, I was telling somebody else, as a dad, like this list just, like, dropped in my mind. Like the old photo picture things. Y'all seen those things where you got, like, 5,000 photos, you know? And, like, this list began to drop. And I was like, oh, man, did I teach him about this? Does he know about this? Does he understand this? And this passage, obviously I'm teaching on this week, came to mind and just like, is he fully equipped? I'm thinking, does he know how to use a planner? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I even got in the car with my daughter yesterday and we we're driving somewhere and I was like, do you think he knows how to use a planner? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we ought to check in on that. You know what I mean? Like those kind of things. And then, but most importantly, like, is he equipped for the things that the world is going to throw at him? Like he's going to figure out the grades and all that stuff, but will his character withstand the onslaught? That's why we've got to soak up the word. So when those moments of life come for us and that we're squeezed, that the word has been marinated in us and the stuff of God comes out. 
One of the reasons that we're doing this now is I want you to get it and understand it because in a few weeks we're going to do a series on spiritual warfare. And one of the things about spiritual warfare is that Jesus continually goes back and he says, but the word of God says, but the word of God says, but the word of God says. And here's what I want for you, our people, as your pastor, as your shepherd, is I want you to be able when the attacks come, because they will come, that you can say, but the word of God says. And the only way that that can happen is it can't be just on Sundays. You've got to be able to dig in and eat for yourselves. And the final thing is, and so scripture, observation, application, is how does this apply to the people of the day, but how does it apply to me? Listen, we live in a world that it's chaotic and chaos, and we need each other in community, and we need God's word. We need to be saturated in God's word to deal with, to live in the world that we live in. And then also, we just need to pray. We can gain a lot of intellectual knowledge, but unless that knowledge begins to transform us, it means nothing. The difference between going to class, and one of the things that Paul teaches here is there's a difference in the different types of classes. And if you've been to college, you maybe you've been in a situation where you can do this. Is one is you can sign up for a class and you get a grade. You get an A to an F, right? You sign up for a class and it's pass-fail. You either get a P or you get an F. If you get a P or an F, it doesn't change your grade point average. You just get a P or an F and you, you keep going. You've done your thing. And then there's also this thing called auditing, that you can take a class just for the fun of it, to gain knowledge. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says in this passage. We are not auditing the course of faith. Why? Because if you audit a course, it doesn't matter if you show up. The teacher doesn't care if you're there. They're getting paid. The school's already gotten paid. You're saying, hey, I have enough interest in this topic that I'm going to go to class and I'm going to have the self-discipline to do it. And for many... <laughs> As a professor myself, for many, it's easy to watch those who are auditing the course because as the course gets harder and there's more reading and more work, guess what happens? Drop off. Now, pass fail, they're going to show up just enough because 69.999 is passing, right? And so, again, human nature is I'm going to do just enough to get by. And hear what Paul is saying to Timothy. Don't audit the course. Don't do pass or fail. You are working to rightly divide the word to receive the best possible grade that you can receive. Show up to class every day. Do the homework. Do the stuff. There's going to be quizzes that come. How are you preparing for the quiz? Spiritual warfare is going to happen. You're going to be tempted. Things are going to happen. Show up. Do the work so that you can pass the course. The good thing is... Our grade doesn't really matter because we've won, but not in our own strength. It's this weird thing of the faith of leaning into Jesus, but doing the work so that we can look and think and act more like him. So this week, hopefully this month, you begin to do the SOAP method. Get scripture, observe, apply, begin to pray. And God doesn't want us just to know knowledge. He wants to jump into the deep end and to know him, to fully experience him. And reading his word is one of the ways to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that it is your love story to us. It's who you are to us. It's your dealings with humanity for thousands of years now. And Father, I just pray for us in this room that we we don't settle for leftovers and crumbs off the table of a pastor or a preacher on TV or whatever. But Father, we pull up our own dining table and chair and dine with you and read your word. And to taste and see and know that it's good. Father, I pray that we wouldn't have a be intimidated by your word. That you would just put us at ease to know that this is your word for us. Father, if we're intimidated by anything, maybe it's maybe some of the things you're going to do in us. And that shouldn't be intimidating. That should be exciting for the ways that you're going to shape us and mold us. How you're going to redirect us and change us and direct us so that we can make an A in the school of life. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.